2: with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash cash. The Volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings' parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game, or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot and making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code JOHN. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code JOHN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsible on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Licensed partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21+. plus Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in ONT. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecock, 3NOW Podcast. How are we doing? Back at it again. Recording this a little later on Tuesday afternoon. Just in a constant construction project over here at the house, but you got a podcast, you got to find time, I got the Phillies on, I got the Lakers losing currently in the fourth quarter, which always makes me happy, and I got some takes on some football stuff. So we we will dive into on uh, the Jim Harbaugh sign-stealing saga, we will talk a little bit about the trade deadline and just the hierarchy of the NFL, as well as some Cousins and Dak thoughts a lot going on right now in football, and it's exciting times. It it really is, and I have some thoughts. So we will uh, we we will dive into a lot as well as the Middlecoff mailbag at John Middlecoff is the Instagram at John Middlecoff is the Instagram DMs wide open. Fire into those direct messages and get your questions answered here on the show. Hopefully everyone's having a good week. We have podcast galore. I, I did one on Sunday night with Colin up on the feed. I did one yesterday reacting to the Thursday night, excuse me, Monday night football game. Niners kind of getting their ass kicked by the Vikings. And we will just keep rocking and rolling through the week. We have a Thursday night game, Bucks bills Be all over that one as well. So subscribe to the 3 and Out podcast feed. Appreciate it. We got just tons of content on a weekly basis. And there is no stopping in sight. So let's rock and roll. To a lot of NFL and college football talk do you guys know about my friends they happen to be the official ticketing app of this podcast i need you to grab your smartphone and when you grab your smartphone go to an app called the app store and search in there for the game time app download that bad boy you want to go to an nfl game you want to go to a college fit game the nba starting college basketball you live in a college basketball area want to go check out a game concerts comedy shows taylor swift Creed, I see they're kind of back up in the mix. Kirk Cousins is listening to them. Here's what you do. You go to game time. You sign up for a pair of tickets. Anything you want. They have interactive ticketing maps that show you the price points. And you use promo code called John. J-O-H-N. J-O-H-N. That's my name. Gets you $20 off your first pair of tickets. Cannot recommend them enough. $20 off first pair of tickets. I've been using them. You should too. Get out of the house. Go do something fun. Enjoy it with your wife, your girlfriend, your son, your father, your, your mother, and go have a night and do it on me. Save $20, and I don't even need a thank you. Just hammer that promo code, Game Time app promo code JOHN. Instead of starting with the National Football League, I'm going to start with Jim Harbaugh, who actually might be a coach in the NFL, right? He fl- Again, he flirted with it uh, a year and a half ago with Minnesota, It feels like they decided to go with Kevin O'Connell over him. He's clearly a polarizing individual. Many people believe that he has the best team in college football. He's obviously gotten over the hump the last couple years, getting into the playoffs, not winning a game, but beating Ohio State and kind of really resurrecting Michigan back to close to what they hired him to do. And the first time I found out about Jim Harbaugh as a coach, I was home for Thanksgiving During college, it would have been probably 05 or 06. And my father, who went to UCD, loved UC Davis athletics, played a little basketball there a long, long time ago, and just was a very loyal supporter of their basketball and football programs and was a season ticket holder. And he's like, we're going to go to the game. I'm like, who are they playing? He's like this undefeated team. They got this really good quarterback from Oakland, and they are led by former NFL quarterback Jim Harbaugh. And we went, and they kicked the UC Davis's ass, and I think that year Jim Harbaugh did not lose a game, and he went on, I, I'm pretty sure the next year probably would have been 06, get hired by Stanford in 07. And the rest is history. Resurrects that program, goes to the 49ers, now been at Michigan. And he's a polarizing individual. He pisses a lot of people off, a lot of people that are around him in the football world that I know, scouts that have gone through, people that work with the 49ers, th- think he's a whack job. I mean, he's, he's a little out there. He's not the most normal individual. Now, a lot of coaches are a little different. There's a big story that's breaking about him stealing signs and kind of taking it from a universal accepted you are allowed to steal signs on game day, try to crack a code like that happens in baseball, and then there's a level of banging a trash can when you know a curveball's coming. Even though I don't think what I'm reading about Jim Harbaugh or even back to Belichick is the same thing. I saw Deion Sanders was quoted on this. A team can give you their game plan. You still gotta stop it. Right? If you know Patrick Mahomes, there what their plays coming, he can still beat you. In baseball, if I know an outside fastball is coming and I'm a decent player, I'm fucking taking that thing the other way. So let's dive into the allegations and just the overall thought on sign stealing. I think in business. there's not really right and wrong. There's a lot of gray area, right? In life, there are laws that you have to follow. But in business, successful people, successful organizations, and in very competitive industries, the best are constantly pushing the envelope. And sometimes when you push the envelope, you go too far. But while you're pushing the envelope and it's working, you keep the pedal to the metal. And go back to Belichick in 07. I remember when I got to the NFL in 2010, sign stealing when you went to games to advance scout, you had your binoculars on their sideline and trying to gain advantages to upcoming opponents. Now, there was a big difference of doing that when that team knew that you had another team's representative in the press box than having a guy on the sideline with a camera who was in Patriot gear. Belichick did what everyone else was doing, he just pushed it to the limit. Now, Roger Goodell's reaction at the time, and this is why Bill hates the NFL's kind of operation, they've never worked in football, they don't know what's actually going on. It kind of speaks to, uh, not Spygate, not Deflategate, but uh, whatever the gate was with Sean Payton and Greg Williams, the Bounty Gate. The way they talked made everyone uncomfortable kill the head, the body will die. Go after Frank Gore's knee. If I mic'd up every defensive coordinator that year, I promise you this, you would have heard a lot of that. Now, once it goes public, it makes people uncomfortable. That happens a lot. People love eating the sausage. They don't always want to know how the sausage is made. Now, once you get caught, a lot of people say certain things if they don't get caught, like that's, that's a you problem. So Belichick... Because Mangini knew what he was doing, caught him red-handed. And clearly word was out about Jim Harbaugh sending people, because it's it's not illegal on game day to look at their sideline and try to decipher their signs. It is illegal to send someone to a game, sit in the stands, and have them record teams. And there was pictures today of Jim Harbaugh against Ohio State, not him, but his staff members, with pictures of, of their signs that, because in college football, unlike the pros, there is no microphone in the helmet. And I was texting a couple of people today, one who's a GM of a major college football program, he's a top 10 program, my buddy Jeff Schwartz, who covers football closely and just knows all these people. It is kind of crazy that even in high school and obviously the pros, like, in college, why they don't just allow the microphone to cut it off with 10 or 12 seconds left in the play clock... But a lot probably has to do with finances. Not every team potentially could afford it. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. But it's the reality of the sport. So it's why forever, and I think the guy that really made this famous was Chip Kelly when he used to hold up the signs, right? With pictures of cartoons and Scott Van Pelt and pizza or whatever, because that's the only way to signal in the offense, right? When Andy Reid wants to talk to Patrick Mahomes or if Sean McVay wants to talk to Matt Stafford, he just does it through the headset into his helmet same thing with the defensive coordinator to his linebacker with the green dot in college it's not the same you have to signal so getting the people signs is a massive advantage i'd argue in the pros you have some signs i don't even know if they're real or not and none of it matters because i'm talking that's why all these coaches hold the play sheet over their mouth they don't want anyone to try to decipher what they're doing even though a guy like brandon staley keeps covering his mouth like brandon none of your shit's working but that's beside the point So, Jim Harbaugh, who gets this Marine Navy SEAL guy, thanks for your service, who clearly is equipped in how to do some, you know, important shit. Well, this is probably pretty easy for him because the still shot, and I would imagine many people listening to this have seen it, and if you haven't, Google it, of of the laminated sheet. They have, I don't know how many, it looked like 20 plus little squares in the laminated sheet. Of a guy with an arm in different angles, and clearly they know what those arm angles mean. And the moment you do the look at me offense, you get up to the line of scrimmage, you look at your offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator has people in the booth telling you the defensive personnel, potentially what coverage they're in, tells them, and then they call the play from there. Where if you know what they're gonna do, it's a massive advantage. I have no problem with stealing signs just like I did when Belichick did it. I do understand, though, the rest of the league and the rest of college football going, listen, everyone's stealing signs, but we're all doing it the same way. When you're sending a person to a game beforehand, like the week or two before, and then using technology to film the signs out of the stands, that's crossing the line. My problem with this, there is too much money on the line to win conferences, to win divisions, to win football games on Saturday, to think that Jim Harbaugh is the only coach in the country who is essentially paying for a guy like this to run an operation like this. I just don't buy it. I am not that naive. I don't believe that for a second. I texted with a guy, told me, listed off a couple programs that quote-unquote used to do it. He's like, I don't know if they still do. I just can't imagine that teams in the SEC, not going to name names, don't do this. I don't have knowledge, I don't have information, but I think it's fair to assume that there are other programs pushing the line. But here's the way the world works. When you get caught, like there are a lot of people fudging their taxes all over America. Some are probably legal, what you're doing. If you're not paying an accountant a premium, to save you the most money possible, I, I think you're kind of dumb, especially if you are a business, a 1099 employee, take every advantage humanly possible. They have to sign off on it. It's legal. Then there are lines that are crossed after that that are like, this is actually illegal. And if you don't pay your taxes, like that's on you. You might get caught. You might not. But if you do get caught paying nothing when you don't even file, like, I'm sorry, that's on you. Now, if you are saying this is a business expense when it's kind of not, like, yeah, welcome to the game. Welcome to life. And that's what I think most programs are doing. The reason I think most people have a problem with Jim Harbaugh is he took it to another level, and then he gets caught. And part of when you have a target on your back, Belichick did did back in the day. Now Harbaugh does. What did both, both of them doing, right? Who do you think turned Jim Harbaugh in? The Big Ten. What has Jim Harbaugh been doing the last two and a half years in the Big Ten? Beating the shit out of everybody. What was Belichick doing in 07? Rattling off Super Bowls. So when you piss people off and you're dominating, they want what you have. Know this. I promise you this. Everyone in your industry, if you are above them, wants what you have. Right? Especially if you're a business owner. If your business is making the 10000000 million, you're taking a piece of their pie. They want that. And if they're ever able to get it, they will try. They will take you down. Football is no different. So Harbaugh has put this target on his back, kind of a weirdo, does weird stuff, just like Bill Belichick, and in football, it's very black and white. Are you beating me or not? Right? No one cares what Rutgers is doing. No one cares what Iowa's doing. When Michigan, when Ohio State, when Belichick, when Clemson, when Saban, when they start crossing the line and everyone finds out about it, they're gonna turn them in. I heard stories about this back in the day with Baylor. Bob Stoops got up in a meeting and said, I know you guys are cheating. And I promise you, we're going to turn your ass in. We don't like you guys. No one liked Art Bryles. Nobody did. They all fucking said, like, you keep doing this bullshit, we're going to come after you, right? And they eventually got him for something else because so many people were looking into the guy. And I I think you see the same thing with Jim Harbaugh. My overall take is, if you don't think, I don't care what you do, people are pushing the envelope to borderline cross the line to try to win You'd have, to be, you'd have to have your head under the sand. And I don't think Harbaugh's alone on this. I just think he got caught. And the picture that I saw today on the internet, I mean, it's pretty clear he's got them all. Now, can they prove that someone was actually taping in the game? Because he could say, yeah, the guy wanted to go to the game. He sent some friends, some of his Marine friends. If they're able to get visual evidence of him with a camera at some of these other games, he's just going to be in trouble. Right? I don't know what that means. I hate the NCAA, but this is going to get weird, and this is going to taint what sucks. Uh, just a fantastic season, a season that might result in a national championship, a season that might result in a guy having several NFL teams lined up to pay him. Right? And I don't think that will change. Get the You know who doesn't care at all about you taping signs or you cheating in college football? NFL teams. Pete Carroll was cheating his fucking ass off in the 2000s. You think he was just getting those players because they love Pete's positive attitude? Give me a break. Now, I've said forever and ever, I've never been disingenuous about this. Players have been getting paid well before I was born. None of it bothered me. Brown bags, you didn't have to pay taxes. I promise you, USC was paying premiums for a lot of guys. And it was working. And everyone knew it. And then finally, they started cracking down on him. And what happened? They got popped, he bounced. You know who did not care? Seattle, when they paid him a lot of money to come. And I think the same thing will eventually happen to Jim Harbaugh, but there's no way around it. You can do what you have to do to win, but if it breaks a rule, if it breaks a law and you get caught, like that is on you. And I think this is going to be a hard one for Jim to kind of shake unless he's got some incredible excuse. And let's face it, they've already kind of been after him. I was thinking about a couple things in regards to the NFL, because last night, you know, the 49ers had another bad game. They've lost two games in a row, and now the Eagles are in control of the NFC. They play the 49ers this year, uh, but they get them at home. And anytime that you have, like, a one-game advantage when you play an opponent at home is always big. This is not baseball or basketball where you get unlimited games. right? If you're able to get a two-game advantage on a team in your division, it's hard for that team to catch you. Even if they play you straight up, the most they can gain is a game, right? So you see the Chiefs right now, and you look where they're at, and you see the Eagles, like they're the number one teams in their conference for a reason. Now, I I think the Eagles are more equipped to like, if you had to bet on one to be a lock because I think the Ravens are pretty close. And listen, I'm not selling the 49ers, acting like they're some chump squad just because they've lost a couple games in a row. But Trent Williams is hurt. I don't know. He's one of the best left tackles in the league. Debo Samuel is a fractured shoulder. Christian McCaffrey clearly getting shot up to play these games has a torn oblique. And and they do depend on a quarterback who still, I think Brock Purdy's better than most of you, but he's still relatively unknown. And the Eagles have a $45 million guy who's proven like he can compete to be an MVP, even if he's playing a little weird. I was talking with someone about the Eagles' last trade, trading for Kevin Bayard, who I, I remember listening to a uh, one of the Busting with the Boys episodes and they ha- had on Vrabel and they were kind of jabbing him about this guy was Vrabel's favorite player <laughs> for like the last five years, team captain, the character, obviously the production, elite player, stud dude, a no-brainer to trade for. And I started texting a couple people in the league, I'm like, How can they just get this guy for basically a fifth and a sixth and some random player that they don't even like? And he's like, well, what you don't realize is to get a trade to go for a lot, like if Aaron Donald, if the Rams were like, you know, we're cool with trading Aaron Donald, there would be several teams lined up which would drive up the price. Last year, honestly, all you need is two, right? Anyone who's bought a home, if you're bidding against another guy, You got to spend more to get the house, right? The reason the 49ers had to include a second, a third, and a fourth was because the Rams were willing to give a second, a third, and a fifth, right? So when you're bidding against other people, like ultimately who was bidding for this player? Because I think a lot of people go, how do they just get like a former All-Pro for nothing? Because how many teams are really going to be willing to trade for a guy who next year is going to make $14 million? You look around the league, you cut it in half. Half the league is... Either 500 or under, and is not gonna mortgage any draft picks for the short term. Then you look at the other half, cut that in half because they don't necessarily have a need. Slash, maybe they don't have the picks, and they're not going to. If they do, blow their load for that position. Maybe it's like, well, we need to. We need to focus more with offensive line. We're more in need of a corner than a safety. We actually need a wide receiver. So the teams that would be interested might be three or four. And for whatever reason, there might only be one that actually wants them. And that's what it felt like just happened with the Eagles. Like when the Eagles traded for A.J. Brown, if they would have put A.J. Brown on truly on the open market, like we're open for business, A.J. Brown's available. A ton of teams would have been lined up. And the Eagles had to pay for that, right? They gave a high first-round pick, pick 16 or 17. They then pay A.J. Brown a lot of money. It's why Devontae, the Tyree Kills, it costs a lot to acquire those players. But you can get other type players, especially either the trade deadline or in the offseason, at the margins because of unique circumstances. Bayard's a good example, right? Plays a position that isn't that valued, makes a lot of money, and even a lot of the good teams are just not going to trade much of value for a safety. You look at the Eagles, They've lost a couple nickel corners, and they need more depth there just with hybrid players in their defensive backfield. So it's they get involved, and who are they bidding against? Nobody. Do the Titans just want to give them away? Ideally not. But they realize, like, we're not going to get anything for him. We're not going to have this guy on our team next year for $14 million, and the Eagles kind of get a steal. Same thing with DeAndre Swift. He kind of had this knock for being, like, the thing I thought is, like, kind of soft. And then I did some digging, it's like, it's weird, I'm watching him on the Eagles, I don't think he runs soft, and it's like, yeah, he kind of got that label, but it was because he was always injured, not because he actually ran soft, if you watched him at Georgia, that was never the knock on him. So, he's going into his last year of the contract, Howie Roseman's not going to give him an extension, basically just renting him, and you look at the league, most people aren't willing to pay anything for a running back, let alone give some type of pick, so they get him for basically nothing. Right, And then one of the biggest swings, Javon Hargrave made a big tackle for the Niners early in that game. And the Niners paid him four years, $80 million, and they gave him $40 million guaranteed. He was one of the better players on last year's Eagles team, who was obviously representing the NFC in the Super Bowl and just just a dominant roster. Well, the Eagles let him walk, and they upgraded the position. So think about the Niners to get this guy. They stole the guy away from the Eagles. And usually anytime you can steal a guy, a star player, a, a, a key component to a defense or offense, to a team that you're probably going to have to go through uh, is, is really your competition, is a no-brainer, especially if you have a need at that position. The problem for the 49ers, because it was a no-brainer for the Niners to sign this guy, is the Eagles lucked out, and lucked out's the wrong word, they had this ammo because they had the Saints pick that they were in position to draft a high-end player. And then because of the off the field, Jalen Carter falls to him, And they're able to get him at nine. And I think there's a chance. Are we sure that Jalen Carter, who looks fantastic this year, would be playing as well anywhere else? Like if you had put him in Atlanta, if you had put him in Seattle, I don't know. And no one disputed his talent but clearly there were some major question marks and the Eagles had the infrastructure. So they get, a, they get to upgrade the player at a way cheaper price point. So I, I think part of the trade deadline is there are different levels, right? It, when you trade at the margins, the 49ers just traded nothing for Randy Gregory. If he gives five or six sacks, it's a home run. Also, if he doesn't work out or something weird happens, you can just cut him. Those are easy trades to make. Where it gets difficult, it's like Mike Evans is available. And I know this guy's not going to be available, but Aaron Donald's available. Back when Jalen Ramsey's available. A lot of teams think about doing it, but it's very, very expensive to do that, right? You're going to have to bid against other people, which is going to drive up the price. You're going to have to give a lot of draft resources. And sometimes you immediately regret doing something, right? Look at the Panthers. This is getting talked about all the time, and rightfully so. The pressure on Bryce Young to be a good player is really hard anytime you're just the number one overall pick. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's talking about you. Everyone is like, you're going to be the franchise, especially if you're a Panther fan. You're like, we've already seen Cam Newton. I know what a franchise quarterback looks like. And i like, God, this guy's kind of small. But think about what they, they they traded Christian McCaffrey last year. They had to include DJ Moore in the trade. And then because they lose DJ Moore, their offense is fucking terrible And they're headed for, you know, a top five draft pick, more than likely the number one overall draft pick, but they don't have the pick. So because they're kind of bottoming out, they don't even get to reap the reward for bottoming out. So it's hard to improve. And I just think that these trades, like there are results in what you have to give up. There's a price. There's an opportunity cost. And anytime you start bidding on the better players, you're like, well, I'm going to have to pay a premium for this. Anything less than big-time output getting back hurts, right? When the Rams traded for Von Miller a couple years ago, and they gave, I think they, they gave a second and a third, which was a lot given that they had already traded all these once, So They were just going to have no picks. It's kind of where the, uh, the meme of Les Snead saying, fuck them picks, went viral. And... Von Miller had to be good for them, right? It wasn't just anything less than what he gave them, a sack in Week 17, a sack in every playoff game, a sack in the Super Bowl. It was all worth it. It was all worth it. But if he had not been a high-end player, it would have been a disaster. And it's why some of the times we've seen over the years when a team trades a second or third-round pick and they're a fringe playoff team or a wild-card team and that player is not good enough, you feel like you just wasted a draft pick. Because that draft pick... Is very, very valuable, right? Especially like the, for the Eagles, for example, a second or third round pick, when you're paying all these players a lot of money, is they look at it like a cost controlled starter for the next four years, right? Part of making the Tyreek Hill trade for the Chiefs was we get a lot of picks, we're gonna have some extra cap room, and we're gonna have some wiggle room, but we gotta hit on the picks. And what do they do? They hit on a ton of picks and they're able to build their franchise because their quarterback's making so much money. This is what I said the other day about the Cleveland Browns. You, next year, you're paying Deshaun Watson on your cap $63 million. Well, I'm pretty sure they still owe the Texans one more first-round pick, so they're not going to have their first-round pick. Could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the guys they draft in the mid to late rounds to hit on three or four of them because they're going to need their ability to start. It's why the Rams have been kind of impressive. They've hit on some picks, and they've just got some functional guys, and they're going to be an eight- or nine-win team because they had to get some cheap labor. They didn't have a choice. And then for the first time in a long time, this upcoming offseason, they're just going to have a normal set of picks, and they're going to be able to improve their team with cheaper labor. So there's a big balance. Anytime you have the opportunity to win the Super Bowl, you got to pull the trigger, and that's where I think it's going to get dicey for teams like Miami, who I, I do not think is a player away. Buffalo, who probably would have been a player away, but they have all these injuries on defense. I, I like. Would you trade your first-round pick? Let's just say Mike Evans to put him with Diggs and Kincaid. Like I, I don't know. Uh, is there a defensive player worth kind of breaking the bank for? Are you good enough? But also, do you kind of got to take big swings when you have Josh Allen under contract? If you're the Ravens, would you be willing to do something pretty bold? That's the best part about being the Chiefs. Everything's house money. You've already won a couple Super Bowls. You're kind of in control. Uh, If something that you can't pass up is laid out in front of you, you do. If not, you roll with your squad. You you take your chances. So I think the key to this entire trade deadline is, is cost-benefit analysis, and it always is, but, like, how close am I, right? Like, if I'm Detroit, like, I'm just not doing anything. I got a young nucleus of guys. I'm probably a year away from truly being in a position to really make noise. I'm riding this out one more year, letting my guys develop. I'm not doing a deal like blowing a first-round pick on a guy when I'm probably a year away. But if I'm the Niners, uh, if I'm the Eagles if the right thing gets laid in front of me, fuck it, right? Anything less than a Super Bowl is a disappointment. And that's where, to me, the Chiefs now every year with Andy and Mahomes would be a disappointment if they don't win it, but they've already banked a couple, right? So it helps not winning it when you've won two in the last like four years. To me, the Niners or the Eagles, if they're not in the Super Bowl slash winning it, it's a major disappointment. The Bills, you know... They've been to one conference championship over the last several years. I think going to the conference championship is impressive for them. But when you pay a quarterback this much, when you've been so close, obviously you would love to taste that Super Bowl. So, like, to me, they're a team that's going to be very tempted that wouldn't shock me if they kind of, you know, shoot their load on something where you go, holy shit. Like, to me, they got in their back pocket a trade just because of desperation that could make some people kind of their jaw drop. I love this time of year. I love the business, kind of the baseball element to this. I love that we have a lot of general managers that are willing to do this. I also think because of the wealth of the NFL, owners are more likely to uh, take big contracts on. Obviously, you got to be able to fit it under your cap in the short term, but just trade for guys that are under contract after this year. And it it makes the league fun. It's just an added element that's really kind of come... I don't know, the last half decade, the last six, seven years, with the amount of, of younger, aggressive guys running teams. And then last but not least, Cousins versus Dak. Uh, Cousins statistically had one of his better games probably of his career, 35-45 against a defense like that on Monday Night Football. He was fantastic. And Dak, a week ago against the Chargers on Monday Night Football, I, I thought played the best game of the season, given the throw that he made to Pollard and the touchdown pass that he had to Cooks. And I think both of them are great test studies, right? I, I would like both as my quarterback if they're making 30% what the top quarterback's making. Just because you're in a given neighborhood, well, if your house is 5,000 square foot or your lot less than the house that sold for a million dollars, doesn't mean your house, just because you're in the general vicinity, is also worth that. And I think sometimes just because you play quarterback... And you're you're a more than functional player, and you're a good player. You think, well, just I'm the next guy up. That mentality has gotten a lot of teams in trouble. Because I think one thing I looked at their numbers: Dak and Cousins. Obviously, Cousins is a little older. Cousins has started 144 games. Dak started 103. Uh, Dak's 30. He's 35. They have very very similar numbers. Cousins touchdown to interception ratio is about 2.4 to one. Dak's 2.5 to one. They're both basically career 67% passers in the playoffs. Cousins has started two less games. Uh, he's got a five to one touchdown interception ratio, 66%. Dak started six games, 11 and five, with six starts, similar percentage. I think he's like 63. Both of them, if they are making the right amount of money, right? If the top quarterback's making 50, if they're making 30, you can build a good enough team and they're good enough. Their problem gets where they are a guy making 90 95% of what the top guy's getting because both of them have fantastic skill sets. Cousins is the last of a dying breed, really good pocket quarterback. As we saw against the Chargers, Dak is a really good playmaker. That's always what he has. He's not, he's an average pocket quarterback, but outside the pocket, making plays with his legs to throw, he's always been good about that. Both of them bring a lot of intangibles. Their key is the payment, how much they're worth. It's why Cousins is about to be a free agent. If you're a team and you can get the guy for three years, $90 million, right? Average $30 million a year, guarantee every penny. Like that's a good deal. If you got to pay the guy $45 million a year, it's just not. Unlike Mahomes, unlike a Lamar, unlike the truly top guys, that extra 10, 15, 20 million dollars of cap space on a contract is there are certain type players who need that extra help. Mahomes just doesn't, right? We've seen with Mahomes, you can put some random young guys and he can just make shit happen. Cousins and Dak need help. And they are the overwhelming majority of the league. Most quarterbacks, beside really the top couple guys, need more help than others. And I just think the key with these two guys moving forward. Because I think Cousins is going to be fascinating, right? How much is he going to get this offseason? Someone's going to pay him. If you overpay him, it's like, well, he's just he's hitting the market. He's used to making this. That's on you. If you're able to get him for the right amount, and it's tough, right? There could be several teams bidding. Who knows? He is a little older. It's going to be a unique scenario. You can win with him. He's proven. Now, win in the playoffs, that's another story. Would I bet on either one of these guys to be Super Bowl champs? I would not but do I mind having, like part of, how many guys are really going to be Super Bowl champs, right? Google the history of the league. If you're going to the playoffs every single year, your team's printing money, your fan base is happy, they get disappointed in the second round, still a hell of a se- season, right? So, the, But the key is to properly pay these guys. And this is not the NBA where it's either like, you got to max the guy or give him the mid-level. I, I think everyone just thinks, like well, you always got to pay the quarterback the top dollar. You just don't. You can still Properly pay him, have a hard negotiation. You know, Jerry cracked, and it's cost them at the margins a little bit. Now, Dak, a little like Cousins, remember last year Cousins fourth and eight checks it down, can be a little robotic. Dak can turn into a turnover machine in these playoff games. They got flaws. But either guy making 70% of what the top guy makes, mean that extra 30% you can use to make your team, you're winning 12 games. And you're going to be in position to host a playoff game. You can't really ask for much more in the NFL. Obviously, you would love to have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Newsflash, your team's probably not going to have those guys. So if you can have Dak, if you can have Cousins, and you can have a talented team around them, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Let's get into my friends at Uber Eats. It's time for this week's player. I thought might give almost, almost anything to redo his game. Brought to you by Uber Eats. And let's face it, this player is polarizing because people think he's a system quarterback. People think he's actually pretty good. People think he's an overachiever. No one can quite figure him out. I think Brock Purdy's pretty good. Now, do I think he's a top like five quarterback right now? I don't. Do I think he's all of a sudden in like the Dak and Cousins kind of world and better than the Cars and the Jimmy Garoppolo's? 100%. But when you're playing on Monday Night Football... And we can argue whether it was his fault or not his fault, you can't throw interceptions. A lot of people are watching. A lot of people are judging you. You just got to make the right decision. Football's hard. You're going to lose some games. But when you throw the team multiple times to the other jersey, Shanahan can come out and say whatever he wants. Not his fault. It was a scheme breakdown. He made the right read. The only thing anyone knows sitting on their couch is the dude in purple is catching the ball. And at the end of the day, the Niners didn't win because of it. So I thought Brock Purdy is a guy that would love to have a little redo. This week's Almost, Almost Anything Player of the Week, and you can order almost, almost anything with Uber Eats, the official on-demand partner of the NFL. Order now. For a limited time, you can save 40% on NFL Plus Premium Annual Subscription when you sign up through Plus Play from Verizon. Plus Play is a platform where you can shop, manage, and save on the subscriptions you already love, like NFL Plus. With NFL Plus Premium, you get access to live games on mobile, NFL Red Zone, NFL Network, and more. So you can watch multiple games all at once on any screen around you for updates. Never miss a touchdown. And for fantasy football players, NFL Plus Premium makes all the difference access to programming like fantasy live through NFL network red zone for tracking player performance on Sunday access to live local primetime games access to fantasy plus just go to verizon.com slash NFL to get NFL plus premium today it's 40% off
0: an annual subscription that's just 59.99 for the full season get it before it's gone Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats
1: TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
2: Okay, let's do a little thing we call the mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. DMs wide open. Fire in those DMs. I was having a beer on, on the deck after work decompressing, and I thought about this. This is from Duncan. Officials have always been bad, but the ones that were any good retired, and left for TV because it pays more. The other issue is the fucking broadcast team always ask for their opinion, and holy shit, how many times do these guys disagree with what's called? It's like every play. Here, Terry, what do you think? Well, Tony, there isn't a hold here, and the pass isn't catchable, so as a fan listening, it's like, how the hell can we watch it and think, shit, no way that's a penalty, and then have an ex-official agree with us? Just sends us into a frenzy. I think that will be the reason they pay them full-time. My idea is either get a guy out of the booth or get full-time, full-time refs like hockey pays the refs. They get fined for screwing up, sometimes even suspended. I didn't know that. I think the referees in the booth need to go. I can't stand them. Uh, I, I just I don't like them as a consumer. Like, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. I don't want to hear from Terry McCauley. Now, it's pretty clear that they put him there because everyone complains nonstop. So you're like, let's go to a guy that knows what they're talking about. You know, Fox goes to Blandino. Uh, Tony goes to McCauley. Whoever the hell Collinsworth goes to. It's like, I, I don't want to hear from this guy. Now, like you said, they were better referees. Uh, I don't even think Blandino was technically a referee. I think he just ran the referees. Could be wrong on that one. But, yeah, listen, (laughs) I I do think it's a little complicated, I'm sure there will be some other questions about paying the refs full time. They make a couple hundred grand, right? The NFL probably views them as an expense that they're not looking to spend more on. So if you're going to pay them full time and not allow them, right? Historically, some of these guys, one's been a principal, one's been a lawyer. Like, you could have other jobs, and you just did this on the side. In fairness to them, even if I pay, let's say I'm an owner, and you're like, what's the number we would have to get to to compensate these guys where we just have them as our full-time employees? And let's say, with an experienced referee, it was like $750,000. dollars you go, well, Okay, I'm paying him seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. What am I getting different on Sunday? Like, what's he actually doing during the week? That that that'd be my question. Like, what are they doing during the week that would be any different? So, even if you are a principal, a high school football coach, a lawyer, a, a whatever, how would your week change? Right? Because one thing, when you work for the league, you work at the league office, right? Or you work for a team, you work for that team. But if you're a referee. Some live in Stockton, California. Some live in Dallas, Texas. Some live in Indianapolis. Like, what would they be doing all week watching some film? And I bet they kind of do anyway, watch a little film. But I, I wonder if owners just don't see, I would say, the return on investment. So it's like, how do we pay them as limited as possible? Now, is that ideal? Obviously not. But I don't know how we improve. I've been saying this forever. These referees in the NBA, in the NFL, have been bad for a long time. And in fairness to them, one time I, uh, I think when I was a senior in high school, I umpired for the little league, the local little league in Davis, and I did. I didn't do majors. I did AAA. So it was it was pretty bad baseball. It was hard. I, I screwed up a call. A uh, kid cried. They, they lost a the championship game. I've honestly, every once in a while, i think about that call. It was way outside and I called a strike, pretty sure it was hot, wanted to go to my girlfriend's house and I was just kind of over it. The games lasted forever, but there's a human element to it all, so I, I respect you guys. I think I refed a little in, in college too. I know you don't talk college all that much, but Ryan Day has suddenly turned into the complete opposite coach. A very dominant defense, while our go-to play in the red zone is a run up the middle with the backup quarterback. Fascinating stuff. I actually think the backup quarterback's pretty intriguing. Kind of their Taysom Hill. I don't... Listen, Taysom Hill's grown on me this year. Without Taysom Hill, can you imagine the Saints' offense? They'd be god-awful. When you're at Ohio State, you have no excuse to not have a high-end defense. You get the best recruits, and you have unlimited money to buy a good defensive coordinator. So the big knock on Ryan Day the last several years is, how can your defense be bad? Every single year, you're getting sweet players. This is not Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. The school has always been good on defense. Urban Meyer, Trestle, my whole life, when I close my eyes, I think defensive players. Same thing with Penn State, and same thing with Michigan. You should always be good at defense at those institutions, and they typically are. Wisconsin as well. Hell, Iowa too. The Big Ten to me is a defensive conference. And when they got very offensive heavy, which you have to do in modern football, emphasize the quarterback, emphasize the wide receivers, but you should always have the Nick Boses and the Miles Garretts and the Chase Youngs. I know Miles went to Texas A&M, but you know what I mean. And sweet linebackers, sweet DBs, no excuse. Now, I will say this about Penn State. I watched that game because I was fascinated by it. It was basically a minor league NFL game. Their offense was a fucking embarrassment. And that quarterback, and I've heard this from buddies in the NFL that have gone through. I've heard this from the Joel Klatz. I heard Bruce Feldman tell Rossillo that, like, this guy's a freak talent. Like, has elite attributes as a quarterback. Josh Allen level just arm strength and can run. Well, I'm watching the guy not just look like a deer in the headlights. They were given a big game, NFL or college. That's one of the most atrocious and embarrassing offensive performances you'll ever see. Because I thought Penn State's front seven looked like championship level. But offensively, and is it their offensive play caller? Is it their scheme? Is it the kid just freaked out? I don't know. But it's not like Ohio State's quarterback played that well. That's the one thing with these conferences, right? They, they don't play anybody. So hopefully once we go to the 12 team, can you guys just all play each other? Like can Penn State and Michigan in the non conference, can you just play Kansas State or Duke or just other normal programs? When you're playing Cal Poly and UMass and the School of the Blind, like I- I'm sorry, it's it's no one wants that anymore. We have to end that. It is a tragedy to do that to your fan base and to the consumer who is consuming at a really high rate. College football is booming right now. But to roll out, and this is why I've never felt bad when Nick Saban bitches and moans like, about his fan base not showing up. It's like, Nick, you're playing Austin P. in early November. I'm sorry people would rather just go to the bar and drink and watch other games, even if they live in Tuscaloosa. Do better, guys. Do better. And hopefully, there is no excuse now to not do better. Am I confident that they will? No. With sports betting and fantasy football becoming popular... I feel like the NFL community is more toxic now than it ever has been. People calling for coaches and players to get fired more than ever. I'm a big believer in things taking time or making small adjustments. For example, is playing well, and just a few years ago, nobody thought he was any good, and everybody wanted him traded or benched. Not a fan of the NFL culture showing disrespect towards such a hard profession. What will it take for people to realize turnover? I'm going to call bullshit on that one. I think people have been sitting on their couch... In watching football, before fantasy football, before social media, saying the same things. I remember being 10 years old in 1993 screaming at my TV. We're human beings. The, the, nothing is a bigger pet peeve than me is when like a media member goes, there's a human side. Yeah, we get it, guys. We, we know we're watching humans. I don't think it's any more toxic than it ever has been. And here's the reality. Who cares what the fan or some loser on social media thinks? Do you know the other thing that's starting to bother me? Is what game was it? It was Oregon-Washington State. And the Oregon kicker who missed the kick against Washington said he had to delete his social media. And because it was so just negative. And my take is like, yeah, guys, welcome to social media. You can't have the days when everyone's kind of giving you a reach around and putting you on top of the world. When it goes bad, it's going to get negative. Like, social media is an area of extremes. What do you think? It's not some normal world where it's just like your friends talking like normal humans. It's not that way. So when people say, I had to delete my account. It was too toxic. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Welcome to social media. Now, obviously, it gets more toxic when you're a quote-unquote public figure or you lose a game at a big place, but why do those people like it when things are going well? Because everyone is in their DMs, commenting on their posts, that things are great, and you love it. You can't take the good without having the bad in this world. But I, I think people have always talked like this. I don't think it has anything to do, people have been gambling, the Black Sox happened in 1918. <laughs> like I, I got news for you. People have been gambling forever. Just like college kids have been getting paid well before NIL. People have been booing teams in the '50s and '60s, like they are in 2023, so it's just it's just part of the deal. It's what makes sports such a powerful thing. It's people care, and there's good with it. There's bad with it. You know, you see some of these videos of these fights at NFL games, and I think to myself, like, what is fucking wrong with these people? But it happens. I mean, I don't I don't really know what to tell you. I so I, the only thing that matters with Tua is like Miami believed in him. They p- kept playing with him. They stuck by him this offseason. Isn't that's really all that matters? I say it all the time. Like, and listen, I appreciate anyone that ever says anything positive in my DMs, but people say negative things too. The only thing that I truly care about, like, is my does my family care about me? Do my business partners and like the people that actually the consumer that listens to the show like what I'm doing, right? But the commenters and people screaming about a bet or fantasy football. You know, I, I think sometimes they can look a little louder, too, on social media than they actually are. But that's kind of how fans talk. It's <laughs> how people talk. Uh, with the current Raiders debacle, what options are realistic for the next three to five years? I agree with you that it needs to be blown up. How many picks can we get for Crosby, Jacobs, Renfro, Adams? Love all the guys, but the goal is to win, and McDaniels can't seem to do that. Mark Davis who just won his second WNBA championship. For those of you that don't follow the WNBA, he is dominating the league as an owner. His team is like the Kobe Shaq Lakers. They run the league for two straight years. Best record, uh, back-to-back rings, best players. I mean, they are kicking ass and taking names. They're going to be the heavy favorite next year. And they had a parade slash party And there was a dude there that with a fire McDaniels kind of cardboard sign and Mark was walking by and he was screaming at him to fire Josh and Mark started talking to him to kind of calm down. Here's the problem with the Raiders is, and I don't blame Mark. I think the last thing in the world he wants to do is go on another coaching search. He wanted no part of firing Gruden. He did not have a choice. And as he's publicly said, he thought he got railroaded and fucked. And they specifically came after Doradus and Gruden. And he's not wrong. But when he had to go after Josh McDaniels, that was never his intention. Even if Gruden struggled, Gruden was getting like seven, eight years. I think he wants no part of firing these guys and going after more people. Now, if they just continue to suck, the thing is they're actually going to end up winning six, seven games. They're going to end up being awful, and you're going to look up, and they're going to draft tenth. I say this all the time: no franchise consistently isn't that good and never drafts like two. Right? Even the Bears last year debacle gets the number one pick. Was able to trade it, get DJ Moore, get some other ones. It was sweet, right? The Raiders have just an awful season, and they just draft seventh. You know, and they end up with some. Project from Texas Tech. That, to me, sums up the Raiders. Even the best player they've drafted over the last decade, they were drafting fifth. Khalil Mack had to fall to them because the Browns traded with the Bills for Sammy Watkins. They got lucky. They just never draft second. It's like, oh, they're just going to draft Nick Bosa. right? Oh, they're just going to draft whoever, some sweet quarterback. They're always drafting 10th, 13th, 12th. That's the worst place to be. So I... I would not expect them to fire Josh McDaniels. I would not expect them to trade some of these players. The one thing Mark needs, I believe they should, but if you're Mark, you do need some players on your team. In all honesty, do you think after the Buffalo win that the Patriots will gain confidence and start winning, or do you think it was one of those random games where the underdog wins, was able to do once, and the rest of the team learned to catch was his one lucky game? Like I said the other day, I think it's division. I think any time the Patriots play a divisional game, <clears throat> even if they're really bad, they're going to have, I don't know, an 80% chance to win because of Belichick. His knowledge on the opponent. We've seen them play random teams. Right? We've seen them play. They lost to the Saints 34 to nothing. The Saints 34 to nothing. Honestly, the Raiders were kind of shoving them around. So when they play random teams, they're just not going to be any good because they're not any good. When they play the Bills, when they play the Dolphins, obviously when they play the Jets, they got a very good chance to win. I'm pretty sure they play the Dolphins this week, right? So, yeah, they could win this week. But let's just look at their schedule. So they play the Dolphins, which in Miami, historically, they don't play that well down there. But let's just say... Carry some momentum. It's a tight game. Then they play the Commanders, Colts, and Giants, for example. You would say, in theory, like, oh, all winnable games. They could easily lose two of those three games. They they are not gonna play as well with random opponents that Bill just doesn't know like he does the AFC East. It is such an advantage for the Patriots with the divisional games. Because their coach is just elite when it comes to evaluating your personnel, having just the ability to scheme against you, and he knows so much about these teams. right? So when he plays the Colts with Shane Steichen, it's not going to be the same. And that looks like it's a NFL Network. Is that a Thursday game? No. I don't know what game that is, but it's on NFL Network. So I don't know when is 11-12. When is that game? i got to look at this. 11-12. It's a Tuesday? No, that's December. My bad Don't listen to me That's a Thursday game So they, they, they play on Thursday That would be an interesting game So they, ha- they have No I'm in the wrong month Don't listen to me That's a Sunday Never mind I I, I was on I, I first started in December Then I went to October So the, the, I don't know why that game's on NFL Network Maybe it's an international game I can't keep up with these international games Being on the West Coast I don't really watch that much of the international games. Now part of it too is the the matchups are terrible. Like Titans Ravens. Like, oh, that's what are the Ravens gonna do? Kick their ass? I and mean, that game could have been like 40 to 10. It's just it doesn't feel it's a little much for me. I'm not anti-the international game. Like I I understand why the league's doing it, but for those on the West Coast, especially if you go out Saturday and you've been watching football Saturday, you know, I like sleeping in till 60. Seven thirty eight 8 on Sunday morning, maybe go get a workout, all of a sudden you kind of forget about it and it's never, you know, Eagles Chiefs or Chiefs Bills, it's always like a random game I mean, Bills Jags is a good game in theory, is it good enough for me on the west coast to truly care no it's not, listening to the mailbag today and all the ref questions, so I googled how much they make and it tells me around $205,000 And that many, if not all of them, have full time jobs outside of the National Football League. So, my question is this why doesn't the league pay them enough to have them focus solely on being a referee and treat them like a lucrative part time job? It's mind boggling. A multi billion dollar business lets the refs be the focal point week in, week out. Like I said, what would they do all week? Honestly, if if I instead of paying them 200 grand, I paid them all a million dollars. What the fuck are they doing on Tuesday or Thursday? I mean, what? Breaking down some film? Watching some highlights? Going to a high school practice? You could technically do that even while you work. I I just, I don't know. So they, instead of playing golf on Wednesday morning, they do something else. I, I Honestly, I just don't know what they would really do. I understand as a player, as a coach, as an executive, you got a lot to do during the week. As a referee, what are you really doing? What could you do? Even if you went to a practice, an NFL practice or a college practice, what is that? Hour and a half? Two hours? What are you doing the other 10 plus hours you're up? I So I think it's easy to say it out loud, but I really don't know what else they would do. I listen to a lot of podcasts and you are my first search. I appreciate that. However, I want to stick up for my Dolphins. They were down three offensive linemen and Jalen Ramsey, and Zavian Howard, and A-Chan. They will be a different team come late November. Good luck chasing the four fastest guys in the NFL round on the field, how cold it is. I got some pushback on saying that they can't win outside, and I clearly don't mean they can't win outside when it's 75 degrees. I'm talking about cold weather games. History's on my side. History's on my side. Google the last time the Dolphins won a game in 40 degrees or less. And it's just a human thing. I can relate to it. I'm a West Coast guy. The only time I've ever lived in cold weather was two years in Philly and one fall in Kansas City. And it was miserable. My body did not like it. Why? Because I'm used to warm weathers in the winter. And now, especially I live in Arizona, the moment it gets like 60 degrees, I get cold. Even in the Bay Area, which is colder than like Southern California, it's still relatively warm, especially where I lived far away from The water. So we're all human beings. And when you live in Arizona, when you live in Florida, when you live in some of these coastal warm weather places, it is naturally more difficult because your body gets accustomed to the weather. And it's jarring. Even if you practice indoors, if you live in Detroit, if you live in Boston or New York, there is an acclimation process that you can become... I don't want to say numb to it because I don't think you ever get numb to freezing cold, but Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady both grew up in California. Then they spent 15, 20-plus years in cold-weather places and became used to it. But would Tom Brady been as good of a cold-weather quarterback if, like Peyton Manning, he played in a dome? Of course not. Would he have been better than Peyton Manning because he has a stronger arm? Sure. But would it been as natural as it became for him no chance went to ann arbor then went to boston so just humans we're just human beings and you become accustomed to your surroundings so i also think jalen ramsey for example he was god-awful last year now their team was terrible did he mail it in a little bit sure they got him for a third round pick for a reason Xavier howard are we sure he's still really that good the young running back, I'll give you that. When he's he's an impact player. But like I'm sorry, your quarterback, in a cold weather game, where's he from? Hawaii, Alabama, now Miami. That's my example. So do I think Tua, because I can relate to this, is gonna thrive outdoors in cold weather. Cold wind, rain, sleet. I don't. And that's not even a shot at him. It's just it should just make sense. Born and raised in Hawaii, played at Alabama, now plays professionally in Miami. He's just going to kick ass when it comes going on the road to Baltimore or Kansas City in the middle of January. Come on. The other thing is your offensive line sucks. It's terrible. It's not any good. Even you can admit that, right? And, like, arms that some of the offensive linemen you do have constantly get hurt. Jalen Phillips, good player. Vic Fangio, stud. Do I believe, though, that you are physical enough? I do not. I I, I just don't. And I'll, your two running backs are good. But I do not love your quarterback in 10 degrees in whip and whipping wind. I, I, I just don't. And I'm never going to. Even if he were to win a game, I would bet against him. And I think it's fair when I lay out what I just laid out. Like, if you were me, Hawaii, Bama, Miami, like... We wouldn't average arm. He's accurate, throws a nice deep ball, but he does not have strong, I wouldn't say like upper echelon arm talent. That usually doesn't crush it in freezing cold temperatures. There's a reason the cold weather quarterbacks who've had success throughout my life, Green Bay, Favre, Rodgers, Boston, Brady, the Buffalo Bills when I was a kid, Jim Kelly, huge arm. Elway, Denver, huge arm. You ever? I mean, honestly, I've never played football in the cold weather. Uh, I, when I was at Fresno State, we played the Kaepernick Nevada team, and it was it was forty degrees, which I thought was beyond freezing. And when I worked for the Eagles, I obviously went to games in December in early January. It was freezing cold; couldn't feel your hands. It's not an easy place to play, and I'm not even counting like rain or snow. And when I say snow, it's more like the sleet. So it's. It's very, very difficult to thrive in that environment as a quarterback and as a skill guy. It's not easy. Tyree Hill, kind of used to it. Played in Kansas City. Waddle, Bama, Miami. Do I feel great about that? I don't. I, I really don't. Not trying to hate. I, I'm I'm a Mike McDaniel and definitely a Vic Fangio fan. And I think one more offseason, they can kind of equip their team more to hang. I mean it's a physical conference. It really is. The Steelers are not going away. Lamar's a stud. Obviously, the Chiefs. The Browns' defense is elite. It's tough. You know, the Bills, if they could ever get kind of healthy, are damn good. We've seen what they did to you guys. Kick the shit out of you. So, yeah, I'm not not just, I don't just say things to say things. I, I truly believe it. And nothing I believe more. And only because I've experienced it. And I've also lived, like, I'm a warm weather guy. It's where I live. And I know the shock that it has on me, just as a human being. And then I've seen it firsthand with quarterbacks going to these games and being a part of it, and following the league like I do. So I, I'm just not going to bet on Tua in that situation. Doesn't mean he can't. Doesn't mean your you could. You know, if your defense was good enough, that's the key going to be for you guys. Defense, 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 defense. And cl- I just don't think your defense is going to be good enough this year. Appreciate everyone listening. Go, doll. I'm glad the Dolphins are good. I grew up. Dolphins were. One of the main brands in the league, Dan Marino. I mean, they they were they were big. I mean, Dan Marino, when I was a kid, was like as famous as Cal Ripken or some of the NBA, Charles Barkley. Like, Dan Marino is one of the more famous athletes of my life. So I'm glad that Miami Dolphins brand is back. It's cool. And you guys are going to be a playoff team. Are you going to win a playoff game? I guess you could if you win the division, which is definitely on the table with the Bills' uh, injuries. But even then... You know, I think it would be hard, right? Could you beat the Steelers in the first round or the Browns in the first round? You could, but they definitely could beat you. Uh, Appreciate everyone listening. It's always fun to talk a little football, and I'll be back again tomorrow. So podcasts podcast, never stop. Adios.
0: The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, It's Freddie Prinz Jr. and Jeff Dye
1: back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff.